This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at Media Week magazine and our new online home, mediaweek.com.au. We chat weekly with people in all sectors of the media and more podcasts just like this can be found at mediaweek.com.au or on iTunes. You are listening to the Media Week podcast. My name is Dan Barrett, Deputy Editor at Media Week. I'm joined at the table here by James Manning, Editor of Media Week. James, how are you today? Hello, Dan. Very good. Thank you. And also Crudy Joshi, who's our digital editor. Crudy, how are you doing? Good. I almost thought you forgot me there for a minute. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I was struggling not to call you Crutes, which is usually what we call you around the office, though. Yeah, sounds you, like Grit. Yeah, you love it so much. <sighs> anyway, guys, we are going to discuss the week in media, which is what we do here every Friday morning. Now, guys, uh, one of the big stories during the week was Fox Sports. Uh, James, record ratings. Yeah, they did. They, they uh, total up their combined ratings for all their channels. I think it was about... Fox Sports 27 they're up to now. They've got so, so many channels, but they had a big week. What are they up to? It's 10 now with the BN channels? Or is it 12? It can't be that many. Well, yeah, well, BN isn't strictly part of Fox Sports. That's part of the over, like oh, just, Part of the package. Yeah, part yeah. of the package, as is uh, ESPN and stuff like that. But the Fox Sports owned and operated channels, if you like. I think it was about, well, I've got notes here somewhere. It was about 13% uh, this week, which is their biggest ever rating. Uh, the big driver, yeah, you go, 13.22%. The mm. big driver, of course, was the NRL and the AFL stuff, but also the V8 supercars, the Super Rugby, um, I think some bit of Formula One Grand Prix, just uh, lots of things happening there which helped push that share higher. Is it So it's purely share, it's not an increase of viewers? Yeah, they were sort of doing it on the um, on the share figure. The I think they also posted a record... They've had some record audiences for the AFL opening weekend, which was like two weeks ago. Um, they did. They've had some individual uh, audience highs, I think, for particular NRL games. Yeah, is it actually good news that they've just increased their share on that service? So, I mean, obviously, people are drawn to Foxtel for sports, but surely the other stuff on the platform as well, they kind of like to increase the share there to show the value of that content across the platform. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe that's happening too, but I don't know. But they've, mm. they're really focusing. They've really made a bit of noise about this uh, record channel share for sport. I think sport is the single most, um, single biggest driver for subscriptions to uh, to Fox Sports. That's probably, a- uh, after BBC first. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what Doug Pfeiffer said when uh, during his podcast with you guys last week. That sports is what drives people to buy subscription for Foxtel. Yeah. Oh no, completely. Now, uh, speaking of sports, Roz Kelly, she's off to 10, replacing Mel McLaughlin. Uh, Cruz, I think you were pretty enthused by this. Yeah, because um, Mel was uh, kind of fronting the Big Bash League um, for 10 this year, and she was a huge part and obviously, you know, garnered a lot of attention for pleasant and not so pleasant uh, reasons. Now Mel's gone from the network. They probably need a new female face to represent the sports yeah, I think it's uh, it's good news too. She's uh, well. She had a pretty good job at nine there for a while. She uh, was covering the world circuit for the surfing. I think she used to crop up at some very exotic locations. <laughs> I remember when they uh, have a tournament. I think in Tahiti every year. So a lot of people were very envious when they uh, she was doing live crosses for Wide World of Sports and <laughs> sometimes maybe the Today Show or something uh, from Tahiti with news about what the surfers were up to. Yeah, amazing gig. But after a while, probably it's a bit tiresome. Yeah, I think she's been living in South Africa. I think she married a cricketer. Yeah, she did. And so she's going to be coming back in November to take up 
a new position, which yeah. will be exciting. And a bit of speculation too this week about the cost of those uh, rights for the Big Bash League. I think they're currently worth about $20 million a year, which is what Ten's been paying them, paying for them. That Big Bash, I think, started with Fox Sports. They helped build it into a, a quite an exciting franchise. Ten swooped in, paid a little bit more money, <laughs> picked off the rights, and they've continued to build it as well. Speculation it could jump from $20 million to about $60 million a year. So ten, I, you could say ten's had it quite cheaply, if you like, because they've they've been doing very well out of it for maybe not a lot of money, which is twenty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and it really shows the success of the T Twenty format in cricket now. I mean, IPL in India has become so huge, and if there is anything to follow, that I think it's the Big Bash League. Uh, Pakistan tried to come up with its own league, but that's not doing so well. So IPL, and then I think it would be the BBL. Hmm. Yeah. What do you who do you back for? Uh, Oh, I'm going to you know, plead the fifth on this one. <laughs> Speaking of sort of new roles, Nick Chan, this is massive news, which broke on Thursday afternoon, points to the CEO over at Bauer. Yeah, so I think he was obviously the favoured candidate and by far and away the sort of best available uh, magazine executive in the market, which is a sort of shrinking market, I think. The magazine uh, talent is... A lot of people have moved out of magazines onto other things as that sort of market starts to shrink. But yeah, Nick Chan, he's had an amazing career. I mean, he's like, I think it was nearly 18 years at ACP, which is what Bauer used to be. Uh, he spent uh, about a decade running Pacific. He, he launched some of the magazines at um, Text Media, I think, for Eric Beecher. Mm. So he just really knows the magazine really, uh, magazine business really well and be fascinating to see how he goes there. Yeah, yeah and um, Andreas, uh, the CEO of Bauer Media globally, he was really pushing the fact that he wanted someone who was local to understand the local market and drive it further. And especially... Um, in the recent months, at least, it seems like everyone's bailing out of Bauer Media, so hopefully this will be a new ray of sunshine. Do you think this is steadying the ship, or do you think that there should be some massive changes coming through at Bauer? I think there'll probably be some changes. Uh, it, I guess uh, Nick Chan will still get a few instructions, I think, from the German owners, but then he'll be able to put his own uh, his own spin on all that, I guess, that, that sort of, and he'll tell them what he thinks they should be doing, which he's probably already done in the interview process, so they must have liked what they heard. But it'd be fascinating watching the battle now between Bauer and Pacific magazines, mm. uh, Pacific run by Peter Zavik, Nick Chan now at uh, Bauer. Those two were great mates in the past. They worked together at Pacific for a long time. They worked together at Bauer for a long time. They used to have breakfast together most days of the week, those wow. guys, on their way to work. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> now they'll be sort of at loggerheads. Is it, so it'd be fascinating to watch how this goes. Is it good to know you competed it that well? <laughs> Well, I think they'll both think they've got a bit of inside information on, you know, and they'll be able to sort of maybe guess how the other person's thinking or strategizing. So then do you think news life media has an advantage at this stage? Why, because they're the odd one out and they don't, you know, they're a separate player. Yeah, and I, I also think they seem to have progressed um, in terms of their digital um, strategy a bit more than Pac Mags and Bauer. You're probably not wrong there. They do seem to have it bit sorted whether they're a lot more profitable i'm not sure mm. um they're a bit more of a niche player aren't they really that with their sort of very specialist titles whether it be vogue or vogue living things like that the uh taste.com.au magazine um gq titles that don't sell a huge amount but they have niche advertisers that pay a lot for that audience that those magazines reach. yeah the premium market 
Yeah, um, important question we probably shouldn't just sort of skip past. Do you know what they had breakfast usually? Was it <laughs> like McMuffins or was it something a bit more hyper than that? Look, I can give you a bit of inside information, but I've got to draw the line somewhere and, on the privacy of the... <laughs> Fine, I can't think be breached. Media Insight or whatever, James. <laughs> Peter Overson, 50th birthday this week, 25 years at nine, which, you know, massive milestones, both. Yep, uh, one of the two bits of good news Nine's had so far this year, there's been a lot of challenges they've been facing as a free-to-air broadcaster, but had a couple of bits of good news over the past week. Peter Overton, you know, they really turned around their Sydney News Board when he arrived. I think he took over from Jim Whaley from memory, who was there for a little while, but I think it went Brian Henderson, Jim Whaley. I think Jim got quite sick, had to bail out. I think Peter Overton took over that time slot. Uh, The event that uh, I snuck into this week where they paid tribute to Peter, they read out, uh, Darren Wick, the news chief, read out some of the press criticisms of Overton when he first joined and gee whiz, (laughs) some of the columnists really gave it to him because initially the figures weren't great Um, and they were, yeah, people really paid out on him. They sort of stripped back, they went back to basics um, just worked on what they thought was the content, really made sure they were getting the news right, breaking lots of stories. And they chipped away at seven in Sydney and virtually took over, you know. And um, the, um, Darren Wick sort of read out the scores as if it was a cricket stats, you know, that uh, I think the first year was something like... Um, the, because the, you measure the success over the years of the 40 survey weeks, the first year was something like 30-10, where they they got significantly they they the one real lot then the last two years it's been forty nil and uh, so far this year it looks like it'll be seven nil so you know they're amazing statistics and Hugh Marks the new CEO at Nine Entertainment thanked uh, Hugh uh, thanked uh, Peter Overton he said look I thank you for all the work you've done for Nine so far and I thank you for all the work you're going to do into the future because. 50 years old is really young for a newsreader, I guess. So yeah. Nine think they've got a lot left in uh, Peter Overton. They they really want to um, you know, look after that asset and make sure he's going to be around for a long time. But you'd think he'd have at least 20 years left in him reading the news. I was a bit surprised that he was 50. He doesn't quite look 50. No, he doesn't. I mean, he yeah. looks, you know, and he, he looks very young, you know. Um, I mean, he's probably just, not being hired to, you know, be in home and away anytime soon. But, you know, he still looks like a very youthful guy. Oh, he does. Yeah. He does, yeah. And, and it's great to see him in real life And because you sort of think it's almost too good to be true. Oh, come mm. on. He's, you know, he's really youthful. You know, yeah. he ruins the ratings. Is this a real person, you know? as a, as a concoction, <laughs> a fakery for free TV. But then you, you see him in the flesh and, yeah, no, it's really him. And he, he really doesn't look that good. Yeah, and you're right. He doesn't look 50. Yeah. I don't think nine CG budget goes that far for the news. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. Really big talk point this week was the Gold Logie nominees. So we saw some traditional names in there. So Kerry Bickmore, former winner. We saw Essie Davis, who's, you know, Franny Fisher from ABC's Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Bit of an outside contender, but kind of nice to see her in there. Grant Denyer, you know, a favourite. Got Cam, who has got a Gold Logie under his belt. But then the two names that have ruffled a lot of feathers, (laughs) we've got Lee Lin Chin and also Waleed Ali. See, I don't understand the all the hoo-ha around Walid Ali getting nominated for a gold logie because he's created a lot of headlines even though the project doesn't always rate in the top 10. The amount of traction that he brings to the project and um, the way he puts his opinions out, the people value it and Walid Ali as a brand is very credible. So 
moving like with the way the TV is moving and how content is moving on digital, you have to take that into account when you're, you know, putting the list together for a gold logie. And especially with these thing on um, ISIS, that, that went viral. Yeah, no, that was massive. And I mean, I think this really comes down to the changing face of celebrity at the moment where Leland Chin's had a stellar two years now on social. Now, these are posts that aren't necessarily created by her. In fact, not at all. One of the writers over at the feed is responsible for it. But really, if you think about any sort of other celebrities being nominated for Gold Logies, they're reading off teleprompters and stuff anyway. It's not like they're writing all of their own gear. So I don't think that's necessarily a reason to discount Lee Lin Chin. And this is a most popular reward. It's not as though it's actually based on merit. So if Lee Lin Chin is a popular person, then, you know, she should be eligible for us. And same with Waleed Ali and Scotty Cam and Grant Denyer. You know, I don't really understand where this has come from, to be honest, because it's a popular reward. James, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, you can go two ways on this, I think. You can either think, all right, well, three of the people here are the usual suspects you might expect to see in the the Mm. Logies Club. Um, Three could be a surprise. Or you could go, look, there's only one surprise. And if you go the one surprise route, I think it's going to be Lee Lin Chin. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with her being nominated. There's nothing wrong with it if she, even if she wins because mm. a worthy winner. But if you just go on the traditional way this thing's gone, it is a surprise to see someone like that there. If you go the other route and say, look, the whole thing is shaking the Logies upside down, you could say, <laughs> well, Essie Davis is perhaps a bit of a surprise for like, gold. That's the one that surprises me. Like, if anyone was talking about the surprise, it'd be that one because yeah, it's a, a popular show, but it's a bit under the it's radar. It's drama, so. 10 episodes a year. Yeah. Is on a Friday night. It's not. Yeah. No. Yeah. What? Why? What happens on Friday night? Like, oh well, this we... is when Miss Frisch's murder mysteries goes. I away. know, but yeah. why is that weird? Well, if, just because it's, it's Wednesday not... night. Or well, it's just not the big night of the TV week. Well, it is for. ABC. It is for James Manning over here. <laughs> well, it yeah, is. For, well, the like show rates. <laughs> the show's often number one on Friday nights. So. Oh no! Look, I love the show. Like, I'm glad mm. to see her in there. I think she's a great actress, mm. and we'll have a huge stature soon. She's in Game of Thrones in the upcoming season, so mm. you know, big time for her. But it's surprising to see her nominated for this. Sure, I'm saying. And you, you know, you could you could mount an argument. It's maybe surprising to see Waleed Ali there because, but then again, if Carrie's there as a winner, mm. as an incumbent Gold Logie, and she's nominated again, well, why can't her co-host on the show be nominated? I'm actually not surprised at all, and I think he's very deserving of the nomination. Yeah, I mean, I sort of look at this as these days, I think people just kind of have to be a bit more cross-platform. And Waleed Ali, while he hasn't necessarily been on TV for that long, he's done some stints on the SBS program. Uh, the cafe program. I can't think of the name of it. Years gone by. It's okay. small audience, you know, yep. it's uh, Salem Cafe. Uh, so there was that. Uh, he's been featured on some ABC stuff doing the big ideas intros. Not really big profile, but he has been fairly prominent on radio sort of for a couple of years. And I think he's got a bit of a following from that. What so, channel was he on on the radio? Uh, well, he was doing so, evenings on Radio National for a that's while. That's right, Radio National. All the, yeah. all the, the big names. <laughs> Massive on Radio names National, aren't they? Dan? All the biggest names are on Radio National, James, Wednesday morning. Thank you from, for finally yeah. tweaking. Yeah, man. Yeah, sorry, oh, here Rob. comes a plug. <laughs> <laughs> Plugs already pinned and gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think he's developed a bit of a following through that, but he's just generally someone of whom had a profile and he's parlayed it into TV and doing quite well there. Yeah, I'd like to think all this furor is, A, going to sell a few more copies of TV Week magazine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that it will, but may might generate some more traffic for their, their digital properties. And also, I hope Nine are thinking now of maybe segmenting 
the uh, multi-coding the Logie's telecast so the winner announced for the gold Logie could have a separate rating because <laughs> there's going to be massive interest in uh, who actually wins that now. But this is the thing with the gold Logies as well, which they keep getting later and later. They're really following oh, yeah. that American Awards well, It's midnight, thing. isn't it, I think? It's usually incredibly no. late. I think it was like 12.30, 1am a couple of years ago. Like, that's brutal. Like, you're really losing out on so many viewers by that point. And this is a show that starts at 7.30 with the frocks on the... Red carpet. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Did you want to talk about some of the other the nominations? I mean, we could. I mean, I could just talk about Waleed Ali <laughs> and Leland Chin for hours. But yeah, I what, just, what's like out at you nomination wise? I compared some of the uh, popular voting with the most outstanding, which is a, a panel of industry um, mm. professionals, if you like, do as we opposed know who, to the Do we know who's public. on that panel? No, Is we it widely don't. discussed? No, no, not really. Not really. We being the royal we. Yes, yeah. no, no. I don't, I don't think they publish it. I think it's a pretty big panel. Mm. Of producers, I think some journalists. Yeah, so obviously a, not us. A lot of people, no, <laughs> no. Haven't had the calling. Um, but, for, for example, I looked at the... Um, the best actor and the best actress. Now they're very different lists for the most popular and the uh, industry choices. The most outstanding, they call those. Yeah. There's only in the actors. I think it's completely five different people in both categories. And in the actress, there's only one person who makes both lists, and that's Essie Davis. So it was. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. So you get a real lot of, of different opinion there. But if you look at the most popular drama and the most outstanding drama, well, then three of those drama series are on both lists, and that's 800 Words, A Place to Call Home, and Love Child. The outsiders, if you like, on the, um, the best drama program, which is the uh, popular voting one, the show Home and Away makes the list and House Husbands makes the list. Yeah. But on the most outstanding, which is chosen by the industry, Place to Call Home is in there and Wentworth's in there. Yeah. So I mean, that adheres pretty closely to the sort of news stories and shows that TV Week focus on as a publication as well. Yeah, I guess so. But, but yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised to see or either Wentworth or A Place to Call Home on the most popular, I guess. But it's probably harder for Foxtel programs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to get in there. Oh, sorry, A Place to Call Home is on both lists. Now, Glitch was the one. That's right. Glitch Glitch was the other outsider. It was Glitch and Wentworth. Which one was Glitch? Make. Refresh my memory. Glitch was that science fiction um, drama, I think it was Matchbox Pictures, set in the um, rural sort of a, a, a oh, yeah, yeah, mythical was, rural town where the people come... The, come back from the dead. The undead, yeah, if yeah. you like. Yeah. It, was, it was a really good series. I liked it. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it. But, I was a little bit disappointed yeah. it ended on such a, an obvious cliffhanger. You didn't really find out. I mean, I like some payback if you stay all the way through a series that you yeah. might get a bit more of an explanation about but what's That going is coming on. back for a season two, though. So yeah, yeah, but that. it was still, no, it was, yeah. I, I was very satisfied with that, um, unlike yourself, Dan. Yeah, no, I was very critical. Uh, <laughs> the, the, my rationale was just that we'd seen things like Lay Ravan on and The Returned, and which we'd both done the same sort of a premise before, and... Just yeah, no, I'm always supporting Aussie, uh, Aussie content, mate. So. I'm always tearing it down if I can. <laughs> uh, just in terms of the nominations as well, I thought it was the outstanding comedy category, which you should have there in front of you, James, that I thought was a little bit interesting. Might be popular comedy. And it just maybe speaks to the lack of options maybe in the Australian market in terms of TV comedies where we did So this see... is one where Stan got a nomination? Uh, what's... Is that the one you're talking Sorry, about? I'm trying Okay, to... so most outstanding comedy... No Activity from Stan, Open yes. Slather from the Comedy Channel, 
Please Like Me from the ABC, Mad as Hell from the ABC, and Utopia from the ABC. Yeah, um, that is the category I was thinking of. I think it's telling that you've got three of those from the ABC, which up until this year with Here Come the Habibs, commercial networks haven't been focusing on comedy at all. But to see that No Activity and uh, Open Slather both made it in there, like that to me just speaks about how few options there really are in the market where nothing, I'm just not you know shouting either of those shows down, but just in terms of viewership, like you wouldn't think they were necessarily the you know go-to shows. No, no, you're right. It's a quite a small field you've got to choose from there. Mm. But you could bet uh, the Habibs will certainly be a um, a candidate there next year. You would imagine. I'd certainly imagine so. ABC's really also pushing that comedy slate with the comedy showroom that you talk about in the magazine this week. They're running a pilot project where. The problem for the ABC is they've only got so much money, but they've got a lot of comedians and other talent pitching ideas at them. So usually they go through long and involved processes to develop a program, but instead they're investing a bit more in a pilot program like you see from US TV. And so they've actually chosen six Australian t- like comedians and their comedy um, proposals, and they're shooting full pilots out of it. So it's a good a little benefit for a lot of the smaller production companies because they're getting a bit of a foot in the door. At when the will ABC. these air? Uh, so what they're doing is it's a bit of an innovative it iView structure. At first? So it's all being dumped on iView on, I don't have the date in front of me, I want to say it's the 27th of April. So they're going to broadcast the very first one on the Thursday night. They'll drop all the pilots on iView that night, and then every week they'll be screening it on TV. So they get some broadcast benefit out of it as well as, you know, an iView exclusive. So. You are right, it's on April 27th. Yeah. It's a really interesting concept, and if you want to read more about it, turn to page eight. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of some diverse faces in there as well, there's suddenly, you know, a lot of uh, female-led projects in there, and also Ronnie Cheng, of whom is one of the bright lights of Australian stand-up right now, and also a Daily Show correspondent as well, so awesome to see him get a shot in there. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Now, we should talk about your back in the room. Guys, did we watch this at all? Was it just me? I did not watch it, even though I said I will be watching it. (laughs) Yeah. Next week. But I'll be watching it on Nine. What is that? Nine, nine Live. Nine Now. NineNow.com.au. Yeah. Yeah, and I watched it, or most of it. What were your thoughts? I thought it was pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's not my cup of tea, but, mm. but I um, certainly can understand how it found an audience. Yeah. Daryl's a proven host. There's a lot of people that like Daryl Summers on TV. There's a lot of people with an interest in um, hypnotism. Yeah. And, I mean, some of the stuff was quite funny. It was, you know... Some of it was sort of laugh out loud. My problem was it was they're trying to make you laugh out loud for probably too long. And with the same four characters stretched over all that time, it was, you know, it just got, yeah, just just wore me out a little bit. But look, those numbers are okay. It'd be interesting to see how it backs up, uh, what it does. But uh, hopefully for nine, they can uh, keep the keep the interest levels up. I mean, the success and the interest in it was big. And obviously, you know, you can see that by the numbers for the pre- uh, debut episode. But when you read a lot of the comments online, they're mixed. And um, I, it's sad to say, but they skew towards the negative side more than the positive. No, there was a massive negative backlash across social. But the thing is that that show, I don't think, is targeted at the hipsters using Twitter. Well, that's it. well that just proves, uh, again, yeah. what a limited audience there is on social. People, Some people assume that 
social media feedback is representative of the general public, but it's certainly not. It doesn't quite seem right. Uh, when I was talking to Fran Kelly from Radio National Breakfast the other morning, um, she <laughs> pointed out that one of the things with the show is that it really feels like an old-fashioned throwback. Mm. And I think that's actually the success of the program where there's no TV like this at all anymore. So it's all reality cooking shows and talent shows and weight loss and this, this sort of thing. This is that pure old-fashioned TV. I remember being a kid, uh, kid and seeing like Torval and Dean on quite regularly. Like You don't see that sort of TV on anymore. And I think there's definitely an audience that are hungering for that more sort of disposable, just lightweight, friendly viewing. You look at last year when Seven were bombing a little bit with, I forget which kitchen show they had. They dumped that in favor of Cats Will Make You Laugh Out Loud. Okay, did massive numbers on that. Everyone was derisive of it and then saw the numbers was even more critical. Uh, but it just came to the fact that for your average person sitting on the couch wanting to watch something just, you know, easy after the end of a day at work, that sort of stuff works. And I mean, this is obviously a Sunday evening, but it's the exact same principle. And I think maybe that's what the networks can learn. It's... It was it was fascinating seeing the comments from the first episode of the new Gogglebox, I think, which was on Lifestyle <laughs> yeah. on Wednesday night, on 10 on Thursday night. And the people, and there were some laughing moments, but some of the people thought it was fake. Mm. Some of the, the Gogglebox families thought, nah, this doesn't look real, which was one of my thoughts. But then, to me, that doesn't matter, you know, just don't worry about that either. If you'd read the article that I wrote for Media Week magazine, James, um, I interviewed the EP of the program. Yeah, Stuart Clark, I did Yeah, Stuart Clark. Uh, Stuart Clark was really skeptical of the format and skeptical of hypnotism in general. But his justification for really wanting to get involved in it was he worked out the hypnotism was real because there's a $20,000 prize up for grabs for those that make it through to the end. But the actual challenges in place should be really easy for someone who isn't hypnotized to be able to achieve it. And so if it's very easy, then you can win more money. But these people are passing up huge amounts of money to them with the hypnotism. And that's his justification saying that hypnotism is real because otherwise these people would be making some cash. And I think that's a fairly... Well, it's not exactly who wants to be a millionaire, though. No. I think you can maybe walk away with, what, 18 or 20 grand or something. Uh, Are you saying no to 20 grand anytime soon, James? (laughs) Because, quite frankly, it wouldn't be, you know, lost in my pocket. What other things we got here? We've got the closure of Famous. Pretty, you were pretty interested in this one. Yeah, so Famous, um, the last edition, the print edition of Famous went um, on sale this week on Monday and um, the brand still lives on as Famous Live online and so I think they're really trying to push that forward now. Um, uh, When it was announced, I went to the website to see what it's like. It was very good um very good in terms of it was very considered opinion there like very considered opinion in terms of i was just trying to compare it to their old website which is so bad i was on the edge of my seat seeing where that was going so there's a significant change already there's been a significant change in terms of yes yeah um so obviously you know they've been planning this um and it just didn't come out overnight um yeah and so i think if they're really pushing that you know live coverage of celebrity news just online i think they're on the right track i think now the challenge is just trying to find that niche because you're not only competing against all those other magazines who are online but also a lot of user-generated content and rumors yeah that celebrity space gee whiz it's a um the fish in that pond it's uh, pretty hard isn't it there's just so many global competitors and then even if when you build that big audience how can you monetize that audience and get the revenues that sustain it but uh I guess good on them. That's a sort of decision Nick Chan might be facing at, at Bauer when he gets there. Some of those properties that maybe have been a bit borderline, you know. I think OK Magazine has 
its sales are under a fair bit of pressure and it'll be interesting to see if, if that's a you know a, a brand that can keep going in, the, in its print the way it has been in the past it's yeah. not really hard to imagine that um like imagine okay taking a path like famous did this week i i think yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of the trend that we see across most media where you kind of have to have a very specific audience if you want to really sort of maintain operation. Absolutely. Yeah. Final thing and very quick notes, QuickFlix, the little streaming service that could, announcement during the week that they are shutting down their Sydney office and their Auckland office and contracting that business. So one to watch. Yeah, well, QuickFlix started off as a as a CD subscription service, wasn't it? A bit like how Netflix started. Uh, well, yeah. D- DVD. Oh, sorry, DVD, yeah, <laughs> subscription service. Yeah. You get it in the mail uh, long before there was any sort of streaming and download. Yeah, so they started with that. They bought the Telstra Big Pond DVD by mail service as well. Uh, back in 2011, they launched their subscription video on demand service. And I have to say, I thought it was fairly unimpressive when it launched. And that was the general consensus because they never really quite got the foothold in the market. They're still doing it. But yeah, for how much longer is probably the big question surrounding them. But we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, guys, very quickly, end of the show, we usually look at the one media um, story or tidbit that really tickled our fancy. James, what really got you this week? Oh, I quite like the, the idea of Mark Fennessy being on the um, Arias creative <laughs> consultant, you know, the former MTV whiz kid uh, turned, yeah. turned super producer, if you like, uh, launched Shine here in Australia, was the chief executive of, I think, almost worldwide there for a while. His brother Carl ran the, the US operations. And um, so, you know, Mark's certainly got a lot to, to offer and he'd, he'd be reveling being back in the sort of music business, even if uh, sort of uh, temporarily for a little while. So it'd be interesting to see what he comes up with. Yeah. Now, you've got a bit of insight. Do you think there's one area specifically that he might really try amping up or <laughs> what <are you laughs> putting on the spot there? What are you alluding to? Oh, no, no, I'm just wondering, like, just in terms of there's a creative, like, do you know if there's one sort of passion area that he might? Yeah, no, I just uh, think celebrating, you know, Aussie... I was, you know, the Australians have really been dominating the chart lately. So uh, the mm. the he was involved, um, of course, in the NXS uh, miniseries, which which really did so well. So yeah. I think it'd be just wanting to get you know all the best Aussie talent involved and um, just giving a real bit of an edge that really tends a uh, host broadcaster again later this year. I don't think it'll be on air to something like November, so I've got a bit of time to work on it and strategize. So yeah, I just think overall they'll just give it a, quite a polish. Yeah, awesome appointment. It'll be great to see. Cruz. Uh, so Married at First Sight started. <laughs> This week or last week, this but week. I, this week, and I didn't realize, so I just watched the second episode once again on Nine Now. I'm very excited by it. I'll be keeping in touch with that. Now, was that during work hours, Crudy? <laughs> we will never know. What's your highlight, Dan? Come on. <laughs> okay, my highlight, and James is going to be very derisive of me in a moment. <laughs> uh, I was fascinated to see the Vision 360 announcement during the week. Uh, this is a virtual reality seminar, effectively, that's being run by Screen New South Wales. What I'm interested about in this is just that there's a body in Australia that are actually really trying to stimulate the VR um, market within the country and not really just the marketplace because that's going to be looked after by PlayStation and whatever, but really they're just trying to find a way that Australians will have a voice in this emerging space. So there's a lot of companies that are trying to sort of get that first sort of move for advantage in there, but they're trying to bring together a lot of creatives, a lot of people who know how the technology works and to try to get a few fresh voices in there of people who are traditional sort of media people as well as some up-and-comers and really just make sure that Australia's voices have a place within this. So do you think VR is going to cross over into sort of mainstream Australia as opposed to maybe just being a gaming 
special sort of... Oh, completely. It's going to be different types of experiences. I think the people who have to be concerned about this is Australian cinema exhibitors, because I think more and more Australians are going to find other ways to find big scale experiences, because cinema now is about these big superhero films. You're predicting the end of... I'm, movies. I'm, I'm not declaring the end of Hollywood's movies gone. on this here podcast, but I do think <laughs> that if you're an exhibitor, <laughs> if you're an exhibitor with, you know, God knows how many screens across Australia, I feel this is going to lead to that contraction because there's so many experiences you can have with the goggles on that so I So you could sit at home with the the proper goggles on and the right content and that would be, you think, more thrilling than, than the big That's screen exactly. cinema experience? I mean, everything we're seeing at the moment for VR is really sort of concept. It's not really the sort of final sort of position we're moving towards. But if you look at the way that video games have stopped being so sort of platform heavy where you're Mario jumping from platform to platform, but rather they feel like films that you're engaged in, this is kind of where we're going to see virtual reality heading, and that really excites me. I can see the potential, and it's really things like Vision 360 that's going to get an Australian voice in there so that we can actually create that potential. So there's no way this will end up like 3D with households around Australia with 3D <laughs> glasses in the beside the TV that are never and, used. Do you think in, in 10 years are there going to be VR headsets that are in the cupboard and, and never used anymore? Well, I don't think so. Because what I think the difference is, is that VR, sorry, 3D as a technology, you'd be sitting on the couch and you'd be watching your film in 3D. You've got your dumb glasses on and, you know, that's your experience. But the thing is that you also do other things when you watch TV. You've got a tablet in your hand, you're going cooking, you're talking to loved ones on the couch. There's all sorts of things happening to distract you from that screen. And all that time you've got these dumb glasses on that, you know, just ruin the entire experience of life. Okay, 3D is a more purpose-filled experience. Uh, VR. If, oh, sorry, the, VR. And if you think about the way people watch TV now, it's rarely everyone's on the couch together, but rather people are on the couch all doing different things. Okay, you've got, you know, the teenage kid in the bedroom streaming something on a tablet. Wife's on the couch also streaming something on a tablet, you know, whatever. People are doing different things with consumption. Having a go- uh, pair of goggles on while doing that, I don't think is a huge leap. For more on VR, listen to last week's uh, tech podcast <laughs> where we had uh, Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick in, and they were sort of at times a little bit skeptical, but on the other hand, they're also very enthusiastic. And if you really want more, tune in for Dan's new podcast this week in VR <laughs> coming to you soon. On James, the Media you joke. Week Network. You joke, but in a few months' times, so we're talking. But anyway, guys, this probably is the time to wrap things up. You have been listening to the Media Week podcast. Uh, This is a podcast produced by us here at Media Week Australia. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Both search for Media Week AUS. Also, if you like this podcast, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. iTunes, uh, you know, whatever. We're across it all. Leave a review. Helps other people find the show. James Crudy, it's been great. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Dan. Bye.